everyone. Welcome back to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller. And today I have a very special guest. Her name is Kinsey Mafferty. She is a friend and an NASM master instructor. And I asked Kinsey to join me today to talk about boundaries, setting that line in the sand. Setting boundaries is so pivotal to setting appropriate limits and making sure that we avoid burnout. So Kinsey's going to join me for that discussion on how we have learned to set boundaries in our profession and what works for us and doesn't work for us. And then she is going to go on about her day. And I'm going to give a little bit of talk about the power of an unapologetic no. So Kinsey, I'm going to turn it over to you because I'm so excited that you're here. I haven't seen you for so long in person. So I'm glad that I get to see you on the screen. And I want us just to hear a little about you. Tell us, tell us a little about Kinsey. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Angie. I miss you. I miss seeing you in person, and I am so excited to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kinsey Mahaffey. I've been a personal trainer for over 10 years now. I added health coaching to my tool belt probably about six years ago, and I've been an NASM master instructor for three years. I live in a suburb of Houston, Texas. So for all of my fellow Texans who froze a few weeks ago, I'm here to say we made it and now it's hot. <laughs> but I live with my husband and my Australian shepherd, Sydney, and I live right down the road from all of my family. So life is good here in Texas. Oh, wow. You are up close and personal to the family. So uh, I do have a daughter who lives here in Charlotte with us. She doesn't live in our home with us, but um, I have uh, Bodie, who is actually a Sheltie, so a very close ally to those Australian shepherds. So, um, so Kinsey, thank you again for joining us. So Kinsey and I were talking, you know, here's the thing about being a personal trainer. It really is an extension of a true passion. I think a lot of people come into the world of training because they are so passionate about fitness and exercise and health. And maybe they've had some experiences of their own that really make them want to share the gift of health and wellness with other people. But the thing about us as trainers is we're like those in the entertainment industry, aren't we? We are most in demand on weekends. We're most in demand in the evenings and so we work these really strange hours often we're up at the crack of dawn before anybody else is up and we're working late into the night when everyone else wants to call it a day and again we're working on the weekends um but a lot of times too, when we're not working, we're, we're still working. We are setting up programming for our clients. We are returning emails. We are returning phone calls. We're working in our business. We're doing marketing practices and it feels like we're a one person show so much of the time. And so boundaries are essential because boundaries are like that line in the sand that says, this is where I set my limits in order for me to stay sane and to prevent getting burnout. So I can keep doing what I love for a very, very long period of time. So one of the first things that Kinsey and I talked about that we would like to share with you is establishing sound business practices. I think that's probably the first and hardest thing to do when you're new to training. So Kinsey, what comes to mind when I say establishing sound business practices? For me, the first thing that comes to mind is setting expectations. You and your client both understand what to expect out of the relationship, what communication looks like, what the sessions look like, the length of time, payment, cancellation policy, everything that is included in the business of personal training, but also how you interact just as people, as a client and a trainer. 
Yeah, I think so too. And you know, it's funny because Kinsey, I, I leaned on you and I leaned on Josh and a few other trainers because the past two weeks I did a couple of monologue shows and the first one was about dealing with difficult clients. And the second one was, oh, what about difficult trainer behavior? And so I figured we needed to turn the tables. And I talked about establishing those practices right up front because it mitigates so much. It's like when I taught university students, I talked about presenting a syllabus to my students. When I give them a syllabus, they know exactly what my limits are. These are my expectations. This is how you're going to get graded. We don't have any unpleasant surprises later where we feel like we have to get into muddy water and try to resolve a situation. I really try to avoid muddy water. <laughs> yes, that's probably the best practice to avoid muddy water. <laughs> I think so too. So you mentioned, you know, setting up, um, I think you mentioned payment, right? So I know one of the things I think about in terms of payment is um, I don't want to touch money. So on my website, I collect using PayPal. Um, I also will collect money um, using other forms. You know, maybe they write a check if anybody writes a check anymore, just different ways for them to offer a debit transaction, but something where I don't have to touch money, right? Where I don't have to say, hey, you're late to pay. And generally my rule of thumb is you pay ahead of time. So you pay for X amount of sessions and you pay before we even begin training so that I don't have to, again, go through that uncomfortable experience of asking for money. What do you do with that? Very similar. Now, the only difference is I work for a personal training studio. The great thing about that is they already had all of the rules and regulations set in place when I started working there. So it made it very clear for me as a trainer what to expect from my clients and I could communicate it very easily. I could say, this is our payment schedule. And just like you mentioned, Angie, we always require that they pay in advance. And really most of the time we ask for two weeks in advance. We don't necessarily lock into large packages, but we set the expectation from the beginning. That way nobody is surprised if they are late for a payment and we ask for it. And you know, this has never happened, but when you, when you have a contract set up for how they're expected to pay, then it's very clear as to whether or not they can continue on as your client if they were to unfortunately just stop paying for services and try to show up for training. Mm -hmm. And you know what, I think that that actually is one of the benefits of working for someone else is it's kind of like they get to be the bad guy and you get to be the good guy. So a lot of times it's like, well, this is company practices. And it even works like that in mental health. You know, it's the owner of the practice or it is whoever owns, you know, wherever it is that I'm working for. So even though we are each our own individual therapist, at the end of the day, that person is who establishes the rules and regulations. And so I'm just the person who abides by them. It seems to take away the personal nature that comes between you and another person. And so I like to keep that personal nature professional in the training session and mitigate any time that I need to pass money between two hands. So I think that you're spot on just collecting money online or having the company that you work for collect money, talking about those policies and your expectations right up front, whatever that um, contract is that they sign. And the other thing that you and I talked about was just a refund policy. And I wanted to mention this in my two monologues because I thought, you know, I've never had a client ask for a refund, but if I did, I'm inclined to think I would probably give it because when push comes to shove, my word of mouth and my integrity mean more to me. And if somebody is that unhappy, even if I know that the story that they're telling or whatever they're sharing has a lot to do with them, I'm more inclined to say here, you know what, I'm going to give your money back because 
I always want satisfied clients. What are your thoughts on that? I couldn't agree with you more. Whenever you come across a situation, you have to remember this is a customer service based business. And you really do want your customer to be happy, even if that means they want a refund to walk away. You have to think long term when making decisions. If you let yourself just stay hard and fast to that rule and say, I'm not going to give you a refund, and then they're mad, you don't want people slandering your name down the street saying, yeah, I didn't I didn't like their services, and then they wouldn't give me a refund when I asked for it back, blah, 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 blah. Whereas if you always treat people the way you want to be treated, good, good word will spread about you and your business, and more importantly, the way that you deal with your clients. Yeah, I think so too. And plus, when you give your money back, I think people are more inclined to kind of walk away. And, you know, <clears throat> even if they thought that they were unhappy with your services, generally their overall opinion of you is going to be very, very different once you agree to refund their money. And so they're just going to have a softer spot. Could be that they'll come back a couple of years later. And, and sometimes that happens with people. They go and they reframe and they rethink, they see life through a wider lens and they realize that it wasn't all you and they might be inclined to come back. So um, the other thing that you and I talked about is the cell phone and being available. And so I think that, you know, even in um, mental health and private practice, I give my clients my phone number, but I make it very clear. I only want you to text me about appointments. This is not a secure server. Anything that you say is not secure. Same thing when it comes to fitness and health. You know, I appreciate if you not even or text me at four in the morning. I keep my phone on because I have a daughter who lives far away. And, you know, the ding, 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 you know, gets my nervous system going. And I automatically think there's an emergency. And the last thing I wanted to be is something like, um, you know, do you think peanut butter is healthy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do, by the way. No. <laughs> You know, you were so much smarter than I was. When I first started training, I was told from my manager at the time, she kind of trained me, don't give the clients your personal phone number, just keep the interaction through the studio, whether it's through the studio phone, the studio email, and that's how I operated for many years. And over time, it just became a normal practice for trainers to share their cell phone number with their clients, because if someone's running just a few minutes late, they could just shoot a text, say, hey, I am coming, but I'll be there. But Angie was smarter than me because I didn't really set an expectation for how I wanted to have them use my phone number. And I would get texts asking questions or just wanting to reschedule, do different things, which is great. That's part of my job. But I learned that I had to communicate better when I was available to do those types of activities, whether it was maybe a conversation that was best placed inside of a personal training session, or if I was taking a couple of days off, I might text back, hey, saw your text message. I will be sure to get right back on that when I'm back at the studio. It's all about communication and just setting a clear boundary for yourself to protect you and your clients as well. Yeah, that's actually a perfect response. I like that. Hey, you know what? I got your text. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to address that in the session or I'm going to get back to you when I get into the studio. It's a very nice kind of nuanced way of saying I'm not going to respond to you right now because I can't be available 24 seven. And then there's that way that when you do see them in session, you can say, hey, I just wanted to clarify. Um, these are the things that I want to talk about in the session. And this is the way that I want to be reached. And it kind of invites that opportunity for discussion in a very, very healthy way. 
So that's a little bit about the business practices. The other thing that Kinsey and I want to talk about is setting your schedule and sticking to it. So I think that a lot of times um, in any field that we're in, in any service profession, whether it's mental health, whether it's fitness, even academia students would learn my um, office hours and they'd be like, well, I have class during your office hours. Can you meet me on a Saturday? And there's always somebody who isn't available during our hours and they heard about us from so-and-so and they really want to train with us. And sometimes we're just so smitten by the flattery that we're like, oh, <clears throat> yes, I'll get up at six on a Sunday. But I learned over time that, you know, um, A, people will wait. Uh, until you do have availability if they want to work with you that much. And B, um, you know, I think we have to think we're worth waiting for. Uh, we don't have to clear our schedule and sacrifice our family time. I think it's really important to set a schedule and then stick within those boundaries and try not to squeeze people in when it's uncomfortable because we usually end up resenting clients when we do that, which is weird because we're the ones who said yes. <laughs> Right. I know. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't put anybody in a good spot, really. If we're acting like maybe a little passive aggressive during the session, because we're mad that we're there, even though we offered it, it makes no sense. But I've fallen into that trap before. And it, unfortunately, I learned that lesson the hard way because at the beginning of my career, I was so used to saying yes to every opportunity. I just learned you take everything that you can and you move forward with it. But then you get to a point where you do have a a really packed schedule, which is great. You're right where you want to be, but then you keep saying yes and you get yourself in trouble. <laughs> and then unfortunately, the quality of your service can suffer if you are overstretched, overworked and overtired and just overscheduling yourself yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and these are all things that we learn along the way. I feel like every profession we grow and learn with our clients. And that's why I always say that I think our clients teach us as much as we teach them. I think my students taught me as much as I taught them, my clients in mental health. It goes that way with any service profession is we learn so much from the people that we help. And so a couple of the things that we talked about in terms of sticking with your schedule is um, try to take at least one day off a week. It can be really easy as trainers, especially because we're so in demand on weekends. But that's the same thing with people who cut hair or a lot of the service professions. Try to take at least one day off a week. So if you do decide you want to work on the weekend, maybe take a Monday off or take a Friday off because we do have to realize that we don't have a cape on. We are not superwoman and superman and we cannot go on forever and ever and ever. And so try to take at least one day off a week because there's so much emotional and physical energy that goes into servicing other people. We really do empty our bucket every single day and we have to find ways to refill it and and feel like we've got enough reserve to keep giving to people or again that resentment sets in right right and one thing that you learn as you grow in the career even though on paper the number of hours that you're training it may not look like it's a lot compared to say someone's office desk job where they're working 40 to 60 hour weeks you might look at your schedule on paper and think gosh well I'm training 25, 35 hours a week. I could probably do more. But like, like you were saying, Angie, we may not realize how much we are putting out and how much recovery time we need. Think about what we teach our clients. The harder the workout, the more recovery time. Same thing with your career, I think. The more energy that you're putting out into each session, the more recovery time you need to refill your bucket and to be able to deliver more to the next client. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is in truth, some clients take more energy than others. That's just the way that it is. I don't, you know, it's not intentional. We don't need to go there, but some clients are a little bit more draining than others. So um, we do, we need that recovery period. So I say take one day off a week at least and make sure that we recognize that there's a lot of physical and emotional energy in helping other people. And sometimes, you know, emotional energy comes across as being physically tired, but really it's just a lot of emotional like kind of thing, uh, just needing a release. So the other thing that we talked about is creating a niche, finding your ideal client, because why is that so important? Well, because I think initially we just want to train everybody. We're like, come to me, I will train you. And then um, we realized that everybody is not for us, that some people take a piece of us away with them. And we want to chase them down and say, can I have that piece back? I feel like I just gave too much away. And I think that when you find your niche, when you find the group or the community of people that you want to work with, um, it's you don't feel like that. I agree. When you find the the ideal client work feels like a fresh what's that phrase i'm looking for <laughs> a breath of fresh air <laughs> to my brain for a second it just feels energizing to go to work when you're around clients who make you feel inspired who make you feel excited about what you do and most likely they're going to feel the same way coming into your session whereas over time you'll realize if you're serving everybody you're not helping each of your clients to the best of your ability just because there is a difference in what kind of energy you might put out toward clients that you tend to be more drawn to. But keep this in mind, there is a trainer for every client. So don't feel bad if there's a client that isn't a good fit for you, that's okay because there is another trainer that's gonna be a fantastic fit and it, they're gonna help that client get the results that they want and there will be another client for you to take that place. Absolutely. You know, here's the interesting thing about technology. I think one of my AirPods just died. So hopefully you can still hear me okay. Um, so, you know, the other thing that goes along with that is you're right, there is a trainer for everybody. And so we don't have to feel like we have to service everyone. And if certain um, segments of the population don't speak to us, I think it's important that we allow other people to, to train that population. But the other thing that I think that's really cool about niching down is you can actually charge more for your services when you niche when you say you work with an older adult population or whatever population you work with you really promote yourself and market yourself as being an expert with that population and when you have a niche you're generally able to charge more for your services don't you think I think so. And what goes along with that is when you have a niche population, that generally means that you're also doing extra learning on the side, specifically targeted toward that niche. And because you have all of those extra tools in your tool belt, you're able to charge more because you've got more experience, more knowledge under your belt, and you personally have invested more into learning about that niche population and how you can best serve them. So I agree, you definitely can charge more once you get to that point in your career. Yeah, I think so too. And and you're right, that way you get to immerse yourself in content that's related to your client and you don't have to feel so overwhelmed by the inundation of material that's out there because generally your specific mindset is geared toward the client that you're serving, the population that you're serving, which is helpful to them and helpful to you. And I figure there's only so much space up there in our brain, right? Yes, sometimes I wish there was a little bit more space, but I work with what I got. <laughs> yes. So the last thing that I think that Kinsey and I want to talk about is 
kind of it goes there this it's it goes it's a two piece of the pie and one is just diversify right i i, I wrote an article years ago for american fitness magazine um talking about diversifying your interests and basically playing with all 52 cards in your deck making sure that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket as my grandma used to say so diversifying your interests and having a multifaceted skill set so that you don't get burnout so that you don't do too much of one thing to where you start to feel like you've you know there's niching but then there's feeling like you don't have any other way that you can go so some of the things that kinsey and i have evolved into over the years is you know i do a lot of writing a lot of blogs i write ceu articles i blog for different companies um i blog for app i blog for nesm i write for american fitness magazine kinsey i know that you do the same thing so there's writing opportunities there's presenting opportunities we can teach workshops, we can teach at conventions, we can even offer continuing education um, opportunities to trainers around the world at this point, because we are such a global entity. So um, getting creative in how we reach the world with our passion about health and fitness. What do you think? I agree. The more you can use all of the skills that you have as personal trainers and group fitness instructors, we are creatives. We like to use our creativity and we are likely skilled in multiple areas. And just to piggyback on what Angie said, I love the concept of writing, speaking, and just doing everything that you can, but don't get bogged down by the idea of, oh, well, I haven't been able to get into write for NASM or I haven't been able to speak for this certain company. Start where you are. The way that I started was writing blogs for local gyms and because everybody's looking for content. So I would submit an idea to them and they would often say, yes, go for it. Sometimes I would write for free when I was first starting, but eventually they started to pay me for my work. So start where you are. Maybe develop one little workshop that you can do at your gym. That's going to benefit the owner of your gym because the other trainers are going to get educated as well. Start there and you'll be surprised at how it builds over time. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I did a lot of writing for free. I did a lot of stuff for free in the beginning. I um, some of that you have to be careful because you can get burnt out. But some um, it got me onto a lot of it, it allowed me to cast my net a little bit wider. I wrote for a lot of larger online, like, say, women's communities that didn't necessarily pay, but gave me the opportunity to really reach larger groups of women and get my name continually to come up in search engines. And that in and of itself, I'm not sure you can put a value on that when your name just starts getting used over and over and over again. So I did a lot of writing for free in the beginning. I presented for free in the beginning. I did lots of stuff where I gave away my services, so to speak, as sort of a barter system where you get to promote yourself, you get to cast your net wider, and you get to reach larger communities of people, which really is what we all want, right? Right. And another idea that just popped in mind, I forgot I had done this. Local news channels are always looking for little fitness segments, especially if you have a niche population and you can put together, for example, five tips to combat aging through fitness. Create a little segment, submit it to your local news station, and you're more than likely going to get some time on the air. That's going to draw customers. It's also going to build your personal brand. And it's just super fun. Who doesn't want to do stuff like that to help others? So I agree, yeah. just get creative. Yeah, I think so too. And then the last thing that I want to say, Kinsey, you know, before you go is the other thing that Kinsey and I talked about as far as, you know, avoiding burnout is don't forget the power of putting a group of clients into small group training. Don't forget that you make more money 
spend less time training and um, get more clients serviced. So it's like a trifecta. I get to reach more clients, I get to make more money and I expend less energy from me. And so I, I just cannot talk enough about the power of putting people in groups. And I absolutely love small and large group training. And so I say, bring it on kettlebells, TRX. There's so many things. It doesn't just have to be a boot camp, right? You are so right. And try different size groups. You may find that your sweet spot is a group of four people because you still get a little bit more personalized with a smaller group, but maybe you really thrive on that big group energy and that's what lights you up every day. You're not going to know until you try it. So give it a try. Use different tools that you have, like Angie mentioned, TRX, kettlebell, strength training, whatever you've got, have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So you know what, Kinsey, again, this is Strong Mind, Strong Body. This was Kinsey Maffrey. Kinsey, I think I've always said your name wrong. I need you to say your last name for me again. Mahaffey. Mahaffey. Okay. I've completely known Kinsey for how many years and said her name the wrong way. So um, Kinsey is an NASM master instructor like I am, and I so appreciate you joining me on this segment to talk about boundaries and how not to get burned out. So thank you again, Kinsey, and stay with me because I am going to talk about the power of an unapologetic no. So I, before we go today, again, my name is Angie. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. Thank you again for tuning in. If you're just tuning in, Kinsey and I were talking about boundaries, and now I'm going to talk about the power of an unapologetic no. Because I think that we as people in the service industry, we are willing to give and give and give. And some Sometimes at our own personal expense and sometimes we don't even realize it until it's too late um, until the people around us are saying you're getting a little spicy or I think you need some sleep and then we start to have to do a self-check and say I think I am maybe working a little bit too hard so boundaries are really important because boundaries help us set limits boundaries are like brakes in a car without them it can be dangerous because we don't know how to stop and I think that it's it's one of the most essential components to setting healthy boundaries is being able to say no and it's this tiny little word that I know some of us really struggle with sometimes I feel like I need to walk around the house all day long and just say no 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 and practice that word because it is such a hard word for me to say but learning to say no is so powerful in us setting healthy boundaries i know that we say yes with good intention and i have always been a yes person but what i found was saying yes is that time does not extend in proportion to the number of commitments i make but I cannot extend the day to match all of the times that I say yes. And then sometimes what would happen is I would end up disappointing because I would overpromise and underdeliver. I wouldn't be able to meet deadlines. And it was because I was trying to say yes to everybody and be everything to everyone. So I have five quick tips to help you say no unapologetically. Number one, don't apologize. So you know what? A simple no, I can't move your session will suffice. The more succinct, the more firm, the more confident you are in that statement, the less rebuttal you will get. Because here's the thing, apologies make us sound guilty. They just do. Even when we're not guilty, which is so ironic, because the minute we start to apologize, um, we put ourselves out there as if we're guilty and we need to apologize, but we really don't need to. Anytime that we give an excuse or we say we're sorry, we make room for rebuttal and really a firm, confident no is really what works best. Trust me. Number two, take your time. 
So maybe you're not sure if you want to say yes or no when this does happen. Maybe we just need some more time to process or think about it. Maybe somebody caught us as we're walking out the door. I know the past me would say yes, because I'm walking out the door and I want to get on my merry way. And then I go check my calendar and I have this, oh, I cannot believe I just said yes to that because I know that I'm never going to be able to meet that deadline. So now I'm much smarter about it. Um, now I'm more likely to say something like, I'm not sure right now, but I'll get back with you. And then I will give them an exact timeline and when I'll get back with them. I will get back with you tomorrow at three. I'll get back with you by this Friday at five. I need to not just leave them hanging because they're probably going to keep asking me in the meantime. And I really don't want to open up that door. I need some time to process it. So be specific on how much time you'll need. Or maybe you can say, I'll email you or I'll call you tomorrow because I might have just a few more questions that I can make a more informed decision. So it's okay to take your time as long as you're specific about how much time you need. And then number three, be a broken record. <sighs> I know, sometimes we just need to say the same thing over and over again. Here's the thing, persistent people will often pretend they don't hear the word no. They don't mean malice. People just want what they want. We all do, don't we? Um, you know, persistent people, you say no, and, and they want to try to find a way in. Maybe if I ask it this way, maybe if I ask it this way. So uh, sometimes, again, go back to that be brief be consistent, no, I'm not able to move your session, and then keep repeating despite objections. Sometimes people will try different tactics, they'll ask you a different way, just be a broken record. No, I'm not able to move your session. Don't need to apologize, don't need to explain, that's just not required. It's okay to guard your time. It's okay to have other commitments and not be able to deliver something that someone thinks that they need. And then number four, leave the door open. So sometimes we have to say no to something. I've been asked to write and I've had to say no. I've had to say, I just can't right now. And as much as I don't wanna do that because I have this, oh my gosh, what if I never get asked again? Um, I've learned to get over that because it's better than me not being able to deliver content on time. And so sometimes I have learned just to leave the door open and say, you know what? I love writing for you, but right now I need to take X amount of time off or I have this amount of stuff on my plate for the next three months. Can you check back with me then? Or can I check back with you after that period of time? It's just a much more professional way of, of being able to say no, but to make help the other person to understand that you really are interested in still doing the work, but you just can't do it right now. But if you can be specific on when you will be available, um, I had somebody recently that I asked to be on my podcast and he said, you know what? Starting in April, my schedule lightens up tremendously. I want to be on your podcast again, but I can't until April. And I so appreciated knowing exactly when he was going to be available because I would hate to just continually bug him every week and say, are you available this week? Are you available this week? That's much more uncomfortable and it makes people have to continually say no and nobody's comfortable in those situations. So, um, you know what? No is that no forever. No is often just no for now. And you find that a lot of times if you've ever applied for a job, and been told no and then you apply again and again and sometimes it might take six times but you eventually get the job because again no is a no forever so again i'm angie miller i was joined earlier by kinsey mafferty and i am an nasm master instructor i'm so glad that you joined us for this strong mind strong body episode where we talked about boundaries i'll see you next week